Good morning. So glad that each of you are here with us this morning as we continue our journey into the Sabbath. Last week marked the halfway point and we're on the downward slope. And I just want to say a word of appreciation to the three that have gone before me. So David, thank you for starting us off with the intro to Sabbath. And it was very interesting to hear about your first Sabbath experience. Mark, thank you so much for your illustrations about the biking trips and preparation that helped us understand that, uh, that people prepare differently and that's okay. And that's a, that's a theme that I hope that we'll recognize as we go through the Sabbath experiences that we're all different. And Megan, thank you for your challenge to us to use Sabbath as resistance, resistance that we have enough. Enough is enough. Stop from the chaos. Today we study a little bit different aspect of the Sabbath, and that is Sabbath and our humanity. So where does our humanity intersect with the Sabbath? And so we're going to explore that for just a few minutes this morning. And in that, we're going to look at three invitations. The first one is the invitation to acknowledge your humanity. The second is to notice the ache. And the third, to wait for the encounter. And hopefully in 30 minutes, you'll understand what each of those are. So let's jump in. We're going to begin by looking at our text. Actually comes from an unusual place when you think about Sabbath. Several months ago, our study group went through 1 Kings. And so we, uh, going through 1 Kings, we went through the story of Elijah. And we're going to actually use the part of the story of Elijah in talking about the Sabbath and our humanity today because I believe that we'll see some parallels and some principles that we can draw from that story and apply to our Sabbath keeping. So let's take a look. 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know about you, but I want some of that food. (laughs) Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, And put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. 
You know, you think about that. Just prior to this, Elijah had been standing on the top of Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal. And you know the story. Chris Stewart told it here several years ago, and it was just an awesome telling if you uh, missed it and want to go back to archives and listen. It was, a, it was an awesome story. But Chris talked about how Elijah faced all the prophets of Baal on top of the mountain, taunted them, made fun of them, and, and finally God sent fire down in response to Elijah's prayer and burnt up everything in sight. All the prophets of Baal were killed. You think about the high moment that was for God, the high moment that that was for Elijah, but yet the very next day, the very next day, because a woman threatened him, he is petrified and turns tail and runs. Imitation number one, acknowledge your humanity. What is humanity? When we think about humans, what do we think about? Well, confession. At work, 40 years of working at McKee, almost, people are what they bring to the table, right? The physical stuff, moving the boxes, loading the boxes in trailers, sweeping the floor, putting the cakes in boxes. They're physical attributes, right? And I'm embarrassed and ashamed to admit that it's only been within the last decade or two that we've recognized that employees also bring brains to work with them. They don't just park them at the front door, although sometimes we've treated them like that, but they also are intellectual. But we have also found that they are also emotional beings, emotional and spiritual. So... The interesting thing is, the things on the right side of, that, of those boxes, those two right things, are the things that drive people to do what they do. But they're the things that we so seldom ever talk about. We rarely ever talk about the emotional and spiritual sides. We're very good at talking about the physical. We can look around and see physical stuff, right? I can look and see that each one of you has a physical presence. Thank goodness. And if I get to know you, we can talk a little bit and I can learn a little bit about your intellect. But it takes a long time. It takes a long time of discussion and talking to get to that right side where we're talking about the emotional and the spiritual things. But they are all part of our humanity. They are all part of who we are and they're all part of what God invites us to bring to the table, to bring with us when we come to Sabbath. Elijah was afraid Emotion, fearful, and he became hungry and tired and thirsty, and he ran. But eventually, he ran to the mountain of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I think most of us run away from things pretty regularly. Maybe not physically. We may not actually look at something and go, run away. But we do other things to run away from things. For example, I watch NCIS Los Angeles, Blue Bloods, or maybe a Hallmark movie with my wife. <laughs> All three of those with my wife, by the way. Or occasionally I'll watch a football game, minus the wife. <laughs> I'd rather do any of those things than clean my office, clean the garage, pay bills, pressure wash the back deck. Tyler, where are you? <laughs> or I'd do almost anything 
than deal with my neighbors who are feuding over property covenants that I created. (laughs) We all run. We all get tired. We all get thirsty. We are all human. And recognizing fully that we are human, God still wants us to come. He wants us to come to the Sabbath with all of our mess. He wants us to show up just as we are. You know, it's interesting because Megan compared the two Sabbath texts, the one in Exodus and the one in Deuteronomy last week. And I'd also like to compare those two and share with you an interesting thing about them. The Exodus, the Exodus Sabbath note says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then it gives this as the reason. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see in all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first reason that he is giving for keeping the Sabbath is as a reminder that he is our creator. And often as humans in our humanity, we forget that God created us. The second instance of the Sabbath command is given in Deuteronomy. And it's interesting because the reason that is given is different. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So not only is he our creator, but he is our savior. He saves us from slavery. And so oftentimes in our humanity, we forget that God is willing to do that work for us. We do not need to try to save ourselves. That is God's work. These two texts remind us that there is a God and it is not any of us. We are simply humans, and that's okay. And with all of our humanity, God invites us to come, to come to the Sabbath with all of our humanity. So invitation number one, acknowledge your humanity. Invitation number two, notice the ache. You go, what in the world are you talking about? Give me a couple minutes. I'm glad you asked that question. Myra, a mother of three sons, three boys. For 10 years, she has taken her sons, not all 10 years, but for the duration of the last decade at points, she has taken her sons to the neighborhood kindergarten program. One day after delivering her youngest one to the kindergarten, on her way out of the gate, she suddenly stopped. She stared up at a beautiful, newly sprung tree standing there about 15 feet from the gate. A light breeze causing the leaves to sound, to the, the leaves to rustle, the sunbeams finding their way through. Myra was completely mesmerized by the beauty and the prowess of that tree. But more importantly, she was confused. She was confused because In 10 years, she had never noticed that tree before. 
Has that tree always been there? She wondered to herself. She couldn't let it go. So she went back into the kindergarten and asked one of her friends, you know that tree by the gate out there, that beautiful one? How long has it been there? Her friend smiled, tilted her head, and with a hint of concern in her eyes said, Myra, you've been coming here off and on now for 10 years. That tree has been here long before you started coming here. Myra went back to her car, got inside, and started to cry. She thought to herself, if she hadn't noticed the beauty right in front of her for the last 10 years, how many other things in her life has she been missing? Because her mind was always racing from the past into the future, and she didn't spend much time noticing the precious moments of the present. Have any of you done that? My most recent experience with well, that is my wife, as we're driving up 16 towards Salem Springs, she goes, oh my goodness, did you see the tree that fell on that house over there? Now, I'd seen a house that three big trees fell on right by the church. She says, no, this is, this is the one that fell on the house before you get there. I go, what house? <laughs> I noticed the tree. I didn't even notice the house. There's an interesting movie clip that I would love to have played for you until I got to the end of it and it said it was copyrighted, so I decided that probably wouldn't be good. But it's a clip about uh, guys passing, guys and girls, there are six of them. Three of them have white shirts on, three of them have black shirts on, and, and there are two basketballs. So the white-shirted ones are passing the basketball between them and the black-shirted ones are passing the basketball between them and all six of them are moving around and some of them are bounce passes, some of them are chest passes. And so the object is... You're supposed to tell the number of passes that the white-shirted people did in this 30-second clip. So I paid very careful attention. And I watched in the back. That's one. That's two. That's three. That's four. So I counted them, and I came up with 15. So at the end of the clip, the narrator came back on and said, so how many did you see? And I thought to myself, 15. Please be 15. They said, 15. If you guessed 15, you're right. I went, Yes. And I felt really great for about three seconds until they said, now how many of you noticed the gorilla? And I went, gorilla? What in the world is he talking about? So they showed the thing go real quick and rewind. Then he started passing around again and entering from the right side of the stage comes this gorilla. Walking across the stage, stands right in the middle, beats his chest and then heads on out the other side. And I totally missed it. And so did a lot of other people in the room. It's a very famous, if Google it. It's very famous. So when we think about humanity, when we think about that right side, the emotional and the spiritual, I put the gorilla over there that we're so busy dealing with the physical and intellectual things in life that we don't take the time necessary to really get in touch with that right side. And that's part of where we notice the ache. And to the chaos that prevents us from getting over there and even thinking about that part of our lives, God says, stop. Shabbat, Sabbath, stop and reflect. And think. You know, reflection doesn't come easy to most of us. 
I know it's been a kind of a new concept over the last year at work where we're talking about the importance of reflection. So we have this saying that's called plan, try, reflect, standardize. So you plan to do something, you try it. And then up until recently, we have not had that reflect portion in there. We just do plan, try, standardize. And then we thought, oh my goodness, we are missing a huge piece here. That's the piece where you come back away, you, you come away from what you're doing and you think about it and you think, what are we doing? We bring other people into the room and we say, what are you seeing out there? What's working? What's not working? It's taking that time to reflect and we don't do a very good job of that. Just think about it. If I walk into one of my employees' offices and I walk in there and I, I look at them and they're just like this. Then good grief, get to work, right? Don't just sit there, do something. But reflecting really takes us to say, don't do something, just sit there. Because reflection is a very, very important part of the process and it's an important part of our process of Sabbathing as well. Because you see, when we reflect, that's when we become honest, transparent, and vulnerable with God. Brene Brown says this in her book, Daring Greatly. She says, vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. We need to take time. Sabbath is about time. We need the downtime to reflect, to become honest, transparent, and vulnerable in order for us to even know what's going on inside of us. For those of you who have kids, especially if they're approaching their teen years, how was school, honey? Fine. How was sports practice? Fine. How are things going with your friends? Fine. Right? Isn't that what you get? Wouldn't you much rather they sit down and tell you all the things that they're thinking, and even more importantly, what are they feeling? Isn't that what you'd rather have them tell you so that you can actually engage in a meaningful conversation? And as adults, we don't outgrow it very easily. We sit around a table with the leader at the head and we're talking about things. And the leader has a great idea. At least, that's what he thinks. But look at what's going on in the minds of the people there. In case you can't see those, it's, say it ain't so. You've got to be kidding. Perish the thought. Heaven forbid. No, no. A thousand times no. But we're not very good at saying what we're thinking. And so when the vote comes, it looks like this. All in favor say aye. 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 We're not very good at being vulnerable. We're not very good at looking at our inward self and telling how we're really feeling. And to that humanity, God comes to Elijah. 
Elijah has now brought his humanity to the mountain of God. And God now approaches Elijah and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And here's where it all tumbles out. All the emotion tumbles out. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Can't you just hear the emotion? Can't you just hear the fear, the frustration, the sorrow, the anger in his voice? And folks, when we come to Sabbath, that's what God wants from us. That's what he wants. He wants us to notice what's going on inside and bring it to him. Bring it to him. For me, it looks like this. God, I'm frustrated. I am really frustrated. I'm frustrated at the last several years of my mom's life, how she lived and how she died. It was horrible. I'm frustrated that the current situation that my dad's in and my hand. What's with my hand? Did you have to break my hand? I mean, seriously, don't you know how much I'm dependent upon that hand? I can't. Two days ago was the first time in two months that I actually was able to take the zipper on my coat <laughs> and I zipped it up by myself. First time in two months. Now I can finally put my two fingers together, but I can't squeeze enough that the, the keep the zipper from coming out you know I mean think about all the Lord seriously I can't put my contacts in I can't write there I can't tie shoes every time I go to snap my pants the other side of the pants goes away from me <laughs> God please frustrated I leaned over the other day to pick up something off the floor and all of a sudden, there's this huge twinge in my back, and now I can't even get out of bed without rolling over on my knees. <laughs> and my eyes, Jordan, please, can you not fix my eyes to where I can read and see to drive at the same time? Not that I want to read and drive at the same time, but <laughs> I would like to have one pair of eyes that could do both. But so far, I can either read or I can see long distance, but I can't do both. God, please, really? Really? But then as I'm quiet, I also notice other things that I think about. I love to help people. It's fun. And I think, so I talk to God about that. I, I just like to help people. And, and I recognize openly that God has really allowed me to be with a group of people that have come alongside us financially and have just enabled us to help a lot of people. And it is such a joy. So I acknowledge that before God. And as I continue to think, God finally says, or God says, finally, you are here. We are finally ready to have a real conversation. Invitation number one, acknowledge our humanity. Recognize that we're not God. Recognize that we are what we are. Bring our mess fully to God and do it every Sabbath. Invitation number two, notice the ache. Take the time it takes to notice what's going on inside and be real with God. Be real with him. Invitation number three, wait for the encounter. Wait for the encounter. You know, after Elijah 
brought his mess to the mountain of God after he noticed what was going on inside of him. It took him 40 days. But once he noticed what's going on inside and God asked him it all, just vomited out there. But that's what God wants. He wants it. And after that happens, God says to Elijah, now you're ready. Go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. Then God speaks. Not in the whirlwind of our schedules, not in the earthquake or fire of the chaos of our lives does God generally choose to speak to us. But rather, in the moments when all is still, when we have brought our humanity to God, when we have told him about the innermost things that are going on inside of us, in those quiet moments, he speaks his gentle whisper when it can be heard. And here's what I hear. Greg, let's talk about that hand. I've been trying to get you to slow down for a long time, and you just won't. You just won't. And so I've taken your right hand away from you for a while, hoping that maybe you will slow down. I think, oh, God. And your parents, yeah, it's really bad. But I want you to understand the issues that are in conflict between Satan and me and understand how bad Satan is because that's what this whole conflict is about. Your desire to help people, that's great. Keep inviting people to the barn. Keep helping people. That's wonderful. But he doesn't stop. He says, by the way, loving people means all people. Even drivers in the left lane going slow. (laughs) It means loving those people. And by the way, I've noticed that the cast is off your arm now, and that was the reason why you weren't exercising, because you didn't want it to get sweat underneath the cast. But it's been off for a while, and I haven't seen you much on the exercise bike. (laughs) Yes, Lord. And water. You know I've been telling you you need to drink water. And no, water is not green. It's not fizzy, and it doesn't come in 12-ounce cans. You need to drink water. Yes, Lord. I do. You know, when we slow down, when we wait for the encounter, if we're willing to do it, and if we're willing to spend the time to get there, it's worth it. Because it's there where God clarifies direction. He convicts of sin. He enables repentance. Here is where the inner work of the soul is accomplished. Sabbath was created for the purpose of giving us permission, actually a command, to stop 
and allow time for this process to take place that our relationship with God might be enhanced. The one who created us, the one who knows us intimately, the one who is working to redeem us, the one who loves us with a love we can't begin to imagine, created the Sabbath because God loves us and wants us to stop and spend time with him. Invitation number one, acknowledge your humanity. Come just as you are with all the mess. Invitation number two, notice the ache. Take time to dig down and find out what's going inside and tell God about it. Invitation number three, wait for the encounter. It's worth the wait. Bethany Allen is not a Seventh-day Adventist, but several years ago, she discovered the blessing of the Sabbath and now is a strong advocate. Let's listen for just a couple of minutes as she describes her journey. I want to be honest with you, though I don't think it'll be a huge surprise, but the practice of Sabbath doesn't come naturally to me. (laughs) Uh, Big reveal. (laughs) In fact, it's something I've been really working on for years, and I'm doing like a pretty good job. Slowing down goes against the grain of a lot of who I am in personality and season and in my brokenness and trauma. This works against each other. When I first started this practice, I was honestly overwhelmed and deeply ashamed, both by my addiction to the noise of life and by what it revealed about my soul. As a single extroverted woman, I found myself feeling lost and overwhelmed by the formulas of others in this practice all of whom are really different from me, like think antithetical to all that I am, right? So I'm like a woman, totally single, (laughs) and I'm an extrovert. And all the other dudes are um, totally men, which is great, and totally married, and totally introverted. And so their formula didn't work for me. And for like a year, I tried to mimic their patterns and their practices, ultimately allowing the rhythm that wasn't actually mine to add to the noise of my soul. And in the end, it led me to miss the blessing of Sabbath entirely. The biggest thing I want you to hear me say tonight is that what you bring to Sabbath is you. As simple as it is, and so often we forget and bypass this truth that we're not John Mark, and we're not Gerald. I'm not married yet, Lord. I'm I'm not a single person. I don't have children yet. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to operate in all these different ways and going like, cool, okay, so I light the candle, but nobody's there to say like, observe and whatever. I just don't have, so do I, am I inviting... What are we doing with that? Like, two candles or just one because it's just me. Like, I don't know. You know, all those things. And we all do this, right? You're doing this. You're mapping out as you're hearing formulas and going like, oh, does that fit? And you're going to do it with mine. The practices we write up are simply that. They're just best practices from a spectrum of, of a lot of people. And they're for you to adopt and adapt and enjoy. And as apprentice of Jesus, take responsibility for. For you to move into and own your place 
with the Lord and own the practice for what it's supposed to be, a space of rest and worship. Practicing Sabbath means that we embrace all that we are in it, emotions and all of that, but also personality, temperament, season, all of that. And that it's going to look different for different people in different seasons. If the purpose is to experience and encounter God, then we'll have to uniquely work to create spaces and rhythms for just that. For me, because I'm single. Have I mentioned that? (laughs) A lot of years now, (laughs) brothers. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to regret that in the morning. About 4 a.m. That's going to come a knocking. <laughs> Single. No, did I? Yeah. Single. No kids yet. Hope for both those things. But for me right now, Sabbath looks like slow mornings with coffee in hand. Spending time with Jesus in the scriptures, in poetry, and music. It's the day and space that I journal and I work through the realities of my soul. I used, to, I used to be able to journal every day, but that doesn't happen, so I journal on the Sabbath. And it's the day where I spend time praying without a time limit. And it's the space where I truly sit and wait on God. I, I do. I set a timer. <laughs> Not because he can't come at other times, but I'm like, we got a limit. This is us. It's still in the queue. Uh, and that's okay. It's also the space that in my singleness, I know I will... Now confront loneliness. So, after a few hours with Jesus, it's the time of my week that I call my family or have coffee with a friend. Not to medicate or avoid my feelings, but to actually embrace the ache within. The afternoon of my Sabbath is a space for me to connect deeply with a select few people. And for me, it's a vehicle for God to draw me to himself and to remind me of his love for me. Growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist, it's unfortunate, but Sabbath for me was almost exclusively a list of don'ts. That's what Sabbath meant. It's all the things that you don't do. Can you contrast that with what I've portrayed as the picture of what God had hoped that Sabbath would be for us? It's not a list of don'ts. It's a list of do's. It's things that God wants for each one of us to enter into a relationship with him. And he realizes that relationships take time. And so he asks for one day a week that we will set aside and devote to that cause. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The Sabbath was given... As a loving gift by a creator who knows that we would need to be reminded to keep our weekly date with him. And that we would need to rest from the relentless chaos and stress of life. May we embrace the gift and enter into that rest and relationship that God offers. Father, we just are so grateful that through your infinite wisdom that you established the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a reminder that we are not our own creator, nor are we our own savior. May we come just as we are, and may we recognize the blessing that you have in store for us each and every Sabbath. 
In Jesus' precious name, amen.